Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about the stories of incredible people and the challenges they faced on their journey to becoming who they are today. We all look at celebrities and think they've got it easy, but of course they're human beings like everyone else and they have similar problems to you and me. So in each episode, I'll be chatting to some of our favorite stars about how they've dealt with tough times from the mundane right the way through to the extraordinary to make it rain in their lives. And hopefully from these inspiring conversations, you'll find so much to relate to and make it rain in your own lives too. Get ready to hear some amazing stories from brilliant guests as well as some genius words to live by. And of course, lots of lols along the way too. Welcome to Rain. Today's episode, we're joined by Hollywood goddess, Diane Kruger. Diane broke out in the movie Troy before going on to star in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, and there's plenty of chat about that coming up. She went on to win Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival for In the Fade, where she also played a woman widowed after a terrorist attack. Now Diane returns with the all-high-kicking, all-female spy thriller, The 355, alongside Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz and Lupita Nyong'o, which sees five international spies come together to save the world from the mysterious cyber threat. My heart was pumping throughout watching it, so you are gonna love it. In this episode, Dan opens up about how training for the movie just six months after giving birth affected her body image and how heartbreak and grief in her mid-30s led to her being more open and honest about her mental health. Plus, she also opens up about how a moment where Quentin Tarantino refused to audition her was one of the most empowering fuck you moments in her life. I love what Diane has to say about becoming a mother for the first time in her 40s in the face of ageism, eye roll, why you should always stay true to your own narrative and never, ever give up on you. So I hope this episode inspires you to make decisions that are right for your life. Hello, Diane. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. All the better for talking to you. And let's just high kick things off, shall we, by getting straight in to Free Five Five. I watched this and I literally called my friend straight away afterwards and was like, babe, you need to run to the cinema to see it as soon as it's out. It's amazing. It's high energy. Like my blood was pumping. And mm. afterwards I was like, I need to become a spy. Like this is <laughs> <laughs> wow. what I need to do in my life. How much did you think, do you think you could be a spy in real life, Diane? Do you think you've got it in you? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I've, you know, in my life I've played a few spies. And I've met a few real life spies and um, they're quite extraordinary people. You know, they have a very different mindset than most people I've ever met. And I mean, apart from being skilled in weapons and fighting and all of that stuff, but, you know, just like a, a mental, uh, a mental, I don't even know what you would call it, but just like a, to be able to, keep up cover for sometimes years. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that would be good for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think I'll be subtle enough 
This is right. when my boyfriend said he was like, you could never be subtle enough to be a spy. You'd like <laughs> walk in. Or like the day after, I'd be like, oh my God, babes, you're never going to guess what I did today. I was exactly. in a heist, doing this. It's just too much. But like, when you met those spies, I've always wanted to meet a spy, so I'm going to mm-hmm. need to know a little bit more about this. What did you learn from meeting these incredible spies? It's just their mindset. You know, they never let the mission that's at stake out of sight. Um I played a Mossad agent once and um, I got to train, you know, train with the Mossad uh, for a couple, for like two weeks. And just like, you know, hearing the stories, the, the vigorous training, and I, and I don't just mean, you know, weapons training or martial arts or whatever, just the, you know, sometimes they get to spend years in a foreign country. They have different lives, right? They sometimes marry somebody else and then they leave their families behind. Um, and I think it must be very difficult. You know, obviously there's always two sides to a story, right? So if you live in a different country that is in theory an enemy country or, you know, you have to spy on people, they end up sometimes becoming friends with them or at least friendly or have to pretend to be friendly, you know, not to get sideswept and not lose sight of what's actually at stake and what you're there to do. Um, you know, that was crazy. And then I met a lady actually on 355 who helped bring down um, Bin Laden, right? So just as a woman, especially, you know, being a spy and being in those countries and, and that are dominated, you know, by men and different religious point of views, it's just, they're extraordinary people. And uh, I mean, I could never, it's just, thank goodness we have people that are capable of doing that. Apparently, uh, just to put it in perspective, 5,000 people per year in Israel um, apply to become a Mossad agent. And only, I think they told me, only 10 or so make it. And we thought the entertainment business was cutthroat. Oh, right, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because when you come to stepping into the world of 355 and you have played numerous spies before, but what was that whole training process like for you? Because you leave everything on that screen when I was watching you, you're like high kicking, you're punching, you're like, doing all the moves and then it, you are such an amazing internal actor as well <laughs> so when it came to the training how difficult was that like what what did it involve I mean for me at the time you know this um, movie was filmed in 2019 right it's been delayed for a year because of the ongoing pandemic um, but um, so I filmed this when I had just had my my baby right she was six months um, when I started training for this so it actually meant even more to me than most actors because I had to get off my couch and you know just find my my body again it felt like um, it felt a little bit like getting back to myself being able to uh, just spend this time on on me you know after having given myself for two years over to making a baby being pregnant giving birth you know all those kind of things that are wonderful but so I was really excited about taking this on and was part of why I wanted to be part of it it just was like exhilarating to feel like each week that would pass I was able to lift heavier and kick higher and like just getting back to me or really a better version of me because I don't do that now but you know so you're not just high kicking around the house in between the school runs. Yeah, no, even though I feel like it sometimes, but I don't. Because <laughs> that must be such an interesting experience to go through all of that and then be faced with your body image in mm. a new way yeah. as well. How has your relationship with your 
own physical strength changed at different times through your life, would you say? Uh, you know, it's just the, your relationship. I think most people could relate to that. The relationship you have with your own body is so complicated and so wonderful. And it changes during the periods of, of your life, right? Like when you're a teenager um, and you start to be conscious of your body, it's, it's one thing. You discover your sexuality. Then it changes when in your 20s, um, you, you take so much for granted, right? Um, and then when you hit your 30s, you become, oh, you know, stuff changes, your body changes, your metabolism changes. So I, I would say for my life, I've always been very active because uh, I was doing ballet. And so I've always felt very centered in my body from a very young age on. I had a baby very late. I was um, 40, right? So I did not think it was ever going to be what it used to be, right? And I kind of accepted that because I really wanted to have a baby. But you give yourself over to the process of that and you to see your, your body changes quite, it's, it's, it's wonderful and scary and, and all of it, you know, and then giving birth and like, just like things are where they're not supposed to be. It's definitely, it's a little, it can be a little daunting and overwhelming. Um, so in a way, this film has really helped me to take control of the situation and feel like I'm back you know, I, I'm more grateful for my body today than I ever have because it's able to change and do all those stuff. Yeah. You know? mm. When you come to being a mother at that stage of life, how does that change your perception of motherhood as well? You, I, you know, for me, I never wanted to be a mother for a very long time. I just, I, I did not have the maternity thing in me. I didn't feel like um, I was missing a child. Uh, I wanted to live my life as I wanted it. You know, I had a really great life. I traveled, I worked, I did whatever I wanted. You know, um, I wasn't, I didn't have any points of attachment really anywhere. And I'm, I'm really glad I waited. You know, I, the desire to have a child came much, much later. And for me, it was the best thing is now, you know, I was ready for it. I, I didn't, I, I went to all the parties I needed to go to. I went to, I traveled the world. Not that I don't go to parties anymore, but you know what I'm saying? It's not as, as urgent, you know, it's like, uh, I just, I enjoy being a mother and I love being more home and I love um, just my family life today. And I don't think I would have appreciated as much, you know. Does mm. that, it's a, a bit of ageism that comes with being a mother at that stage of life as well. Because in the podcast before, we talked to Joanne Frogger about this. And mm -hmm. she was saying that when she got into her late 30s, she immediately started getting asked questions about, when are you going to have a child? And she was like, this is actually no one's business. It, like, this yeah. is my narrative. Like, yeah. did you find people questioning your own narrative at that point in your life? All the time. I think from the time I was like, in my late 20s, really, that's when it started. I feel like all my career in interviews up in us. So do you want a family? Do you want this? Do you want that? You know, as, and I, I, I would 100% agree with that. It's really no one's business and no one really ever asks those kind of questions, uh, male actors or male, you know, it's mm -mm. not, that's never part of, of an, of a, of an inter interview. So as I was getting older, I was getting more frustrated with that question for sure. Not because I felt attacked, but I just feel like, wh why do you, why is this, why does that question have to be part of of being complete or being a complete woman you know or feeling like you know and then that 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 notion of 
oh, she's choosing her career over motherhood as if that was a something bad, you know, because men do it all the time. Right. Or or does it matter? Like it's everybody's choice, you know, and just mm. because you make a child, it doesn't make you a better person. <laughs> you know? That is 100% true. And that's exactly what Joanne was talking about as well. And I think as well, when you you have created so many incredible characters on our screen. And I feel like whenever I watch you, you kind of push the representation of women on screen just that little bit forward. Even when you were playing Helen of Troy, that could have been easier, been like a mm. cardboard cut role. But you're like, I'm pushing it. Mm-hmm. I'm going through the stereotypes. When you have a child as well, does it make you more conscious of the kind of roles you're taking on in order to, the kind of representation you want to see in the world for the world that she's now living in as well? You know, I mean, yes and no. I, I, I'd like to say yes, 100%. But the truth is like, as you get older, just on a personal level, I think I bring more to the table than I did when I was in my twenties, right. Just because I've lived and um, I want to represent women that speak to me that I know that I've met and, and that I find are a complete, a more complete representation of what women actually are, because oftentimes you watch films and I don't know those girls, you know, I don't, I, I don't know those, silly shop girls that just talk about boys and you know maybe when you're really young but even then you know it's like there's something else going on you also have go to university you do I don't know other stuff anyways for her you know for my kid yeah I mean I want to make sure that she doesn't grow up in a in a world where she doesn't see herself on screen or she in movies or in books you know but she's still really young she's only three you know and it's more about living the example for her you know I'm not sure she's going to see my movies for a very long time but it's more about having her give her the ability to choose for herself right like I'm glad one of the things I'm glad about is having had her later in life is that I'm able to be home more right and I mean that in the best possible Mm. way because when you're younger you have to go to work you have to make money you have to provide for a living and or you were married and and you choose to not work but that represents its own set of uh prejudice right people look down oh she's not working she's a stay-at-home mom as if that was something that's not actually more work than going to work because let me tell you it is (laughs) going to work feels like i'm on vacation um so you know i just wanna i wanna be there for her as much as i can while also working about things that I'm really passionate about. And she's only now starting to understand that concept, you know, before she doesn't care if I go to work or not, she just wants me to be home, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think this is something that 355 does so well is it kind of high kicks in the groin, those kind of societal expectations <laughs> that we place on women because they constantly come up against these boxes as characters as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. What kind of, reductive representation and boxes do you think have been placed on you at different times in your career and you've had to basically high kick through them I mean all the time you know I mean I played Helen of Troy you know like that by itself was very uh a daunting to take on and it could have very easily killed my career and it kind of did for a while because that movie wasn't the success that everybody had hoped you know and 
a lot of people, I mean, in America, were like, well, where do you go from playing Helen of Troy, right? They didn't expect me to then be, be the next Meryl Streep coming out of Troy. You know what I'm saying? Not that mm-hmm. I am, but um, I felt that very, very much. Like she's, oh, she's just another pretty face that's come up and Hollywood likes to go through, oh, who's the next Who's the next one coming up, you know? Um, so I feel like we all fight against stereotypes. I'm sure you do in what you do. You know, we all, people like to just judge you and put you into, into your little corner and they don't love it when you break out, you know? So I think that's just life. You can't even be bitter about that. It's just the way it is. And mm. right. We just gotta keep going. It's so difficult sometimes when you feel that those boxes are being placed on you and you're just like, why, why Why? are you doing this to me? It's so, it's that, that frustration is something that also can fuel you as well. Like I feel like when I've had people put boxes on me and be like, you're a boy, so you got like this or like Mm. you're gay. So that means you're like this and you're just in this box. And it's like, just because I'm gay doesn't mean I'm just like dancing around to Kyle Minogue all the time. I've also got like (laughs) deep thoughts and feelings too, you know? Like that's, it can also be a fuel. Have you found that? Well, I understand, you know, and, and it's part of life. Like, that's what I said. Like, you know, it's, it's, you just, you just keep going, you know, because people can say what they want about you, but there's one thing that no one can take away from you. And that's your spirit and your talent. You know, they can be, I don't know how many other more fabulous gay people or more beautiful actresses, but at the end of the day, it is what you have inside of you, right. That will you, what makes you, you will make set you apart and make you special so no one can take away that can take that away so it's it's easier said than done i think but you just gotta believe that you know and be Mm. recognize that yeah and that comes from also finding your community as well and finding like-minded people and one thing that 355 is so great about is it's about you know you play marie she's like a lone wolf and then she then joins the rest of the sisterhood and they come together and she kind of learns more about herself through being in a group than she did being on her own. Mm. When have you, do you think you've leaned into sisterhood the most in your life? And when do you think it's taught you the most about yourself? I mean, I've always had good girlfriends, uh, not many, but like, you know, good, I have the same friends than growing up kind of, you know, I mean, there's, I just think that girls, um, especially working with female directors in my life have been, has been very information. You know, it's like, there's just a a shortcut to characters and that's very nice. You don't have to talk about many things. They're just a given, you know, also there's no sweet talking. A lot of the times I've found growing up when you want to talk to a man or you want to get something from a director, you have to sort of sweetly talk around the subject to finally land on and make it kind of sound like it was his idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's changing and that's changed. I don't know if it's because I'm older and people are just more willing to listen, but it's just seems uh, it definitely seems to be moving in the right direction. I think I've become more uh, part of a sisterhood since becoming a mother though, because it feels like that community of my mother, my grandmother, other women that, you know, you can share the stories with about, the journey of motherhood, which is so such a roller coaster. There's, um, you know, when I take her to school or whatever, and you know, all well, the mothers are hanging out uh, afterwards and having coffee. That's like a community that is 
very new to me and still a little strange, but it's, it's a very strong community because I think it's something that, you know, we go through something together. Um, I don't know. That's kind of unique, you know? <laughs> One of the things I loved about the movie mm-hmm. is I love the fact it's about physical strength, but yeah. it's just as much about mental strength mm. as well and leaning yeah. on that and finding your own mental strength. And this season of the podcast is all going to be about wellness and finding your true self and leaning on your own mental health. Mm-hmm. How has your relationship with your own mental strength changed? Um, I think when I stopped, okay, so it's a little, it's a, it's a long winded answer, but I think when I was younger, I didn't really um, worry about it. You know, I just felt like when I was depressed, I was, um, I felt sad or whatever. It was just part of, that's just the way it is. And like, you just got to push through. I think as I've grown older, I've become more in tune with what I need. You know, I've always been um, a bit of a loner. I, I've always sort of looked for being by myself. I think it comes from working as a model from a very young age and, and being alone a lot, right? Traveling a lot uh, alone and then being in a room full of adults when really you're a child, you know, 15, 16. And, you know, most people in the industry are older than 30. So it's kind of like there's a disconnect of you being a teenager and, and, and adults, right? So um, I've always relied or had to rely on myself, I felt. And as I've grown older, I think I've just been more, maybe it's also becoming an actor where you're more in tune with your emotions because that's what you're, you know, right? That's your work. You're, you're looking for those often ugly things and, and, and not uncomfortable things because that's how you create a character. I've, I've learned more to say it out loud when I need help or when I need a moment to just uh, for myself, you know? So, so I think part for me was being able to voice it that made a big difference. When did that moment come for you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know exactly what day or what month or what year it was. It felt, but it felt like I was in my sort of mid thirties and, um, you know, a relationship was coming to an end and my grandmother had passed away. And that was the first time in my life that I had to deal with grief, right? Because up until that point, nobody around me had passed. So um, I was confronted with a lot of big emotions and I was struggling to um, get by, by myself, by not saying something to anyone. I didn't really know who to say something to. And I think the moment I decided to, I think it must've been my mom to just like acknowledge that I wasn't doing well, um, became the well that had to open up. And like, all of a sudden I was able to talk, you know, and somebody felt like inclined to listen. And so I, I realized, wow, how much lighter I felt. And, and so I think ever since I, I try to be better about that. Isn't it crazy how sometimes in life it's the the darkest times that ultimately empower us in the yeah. future? Yeah, but you that's easier said than done. You know, I think uh, when you're in it, you don't see that. It's very difficult to see. But of course, looking back, I think those years, if I hadn't had dark moments, if we don't go through dark moments, um, we can't appreciate the light for sure. Mm. Is there something you wish you realized sooner? 
Yeah, I think it would have been lighter and, and less lonely at times, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's made me who I am. And I think everybody's journey is different. Um, I think when I was a teenager, maybe there wasn't as much talk and, and openness about subjects like that, right? And I'm from Europe. I don't know how it is in England, but where I grew up, you never went to go to, you never went to therapy. You didn't even talk about that. Like, you know, crazy people went to see therapists, you know, or God help because they were crazy. You know, um, I think America is more open. Like people here, you know, they talk about that all the time. Like, Oh no, today I can't come. I have my, my therapy session, you know, and it's, it's freer. It's a little bit freer here. Mm. Oh, I say know what you mean, because I was saying to my friend the other day that, we never were given the language to be able to talk about our mental health when we were younger. Yeah. It's now everyone talks about anxiety or suffering from anxious moments. And I didn't even have the language. So when I was suffering really badly from anxiety when I was a teenager, I didn't even have the language to be able to compute to someone, right. this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. And it's so interesting that going, because you live in New York now, right? Do you think yeah. that actually living in New York and living that different culture has enabled you to have a better language to be able to talk about how you're feeling in a way by being in that new culture yes for, for me yes um but um, you know i grew up in a very small village you know uh so that was not part of well mental health health i don't think it's i didn't i didn't know what that meant you know until much much later in life um, but also, I think just times are changing and I think people are more aware of also children and situations, you know, in school. Like I, I can already tell, like just when I take my my kid to preschool, you know, parents are much more involved. Like the school requires the attention of parents and much more than when I was growing up. Like I don't think my I don't recall. Maybe she did. But in my memory, I don't recall ever my parents um, coming to school really and like having discussions about how I'm behaving or, you know, how I could do better as a person or what would help me in life. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I just don't remember that ever being discussed at home, you know, or a possibility like school is what I did. And I just had to come home with good grades. And then that was it, you know? Oh God, 1000%. I also grew up in like the tiniest village of like 150 people. You never talked about your feelings. You like went to school, you came home, that was it. Exactly. Like done, 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 done. There was no discussion about how are you truly? Right, 100%, like, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm really hoping that I'm different with my kid, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, the other thing is, I don't mean this in a bad way towards my mom, but like there was never a version in my mind where I could, come to her and talk about my feelings of like, you know, I'm feeling bad because this happened to me in school. And like, do you know what I mean? And she probably would have liked me to do that, but I never thought for myself that there was that space, you know? Um, and it's per my own silliness because I feel like I'm sure my mother would have listened to me <laughs> and not tried to help me, you know, but I was like, that's oh, good. Fine. All great. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. That's 1000% the same for me because I was talking to my friend, the friend who I was talking to about this. And I was like, my mum sent me a message once when I did the podcast interview and was like, oh my God, I wish you just talked to me about this. And I was like, well, to be honest, I don't think we were, retrospectively, you may have wanted to talk about it. But at the time, there just wasn't the culture to be yeah. able to talk about it. Yeah. 
I hear you. I agree. When you think back to that girl who was growing up in that small village and you've come to achieve all the incredible things that you have achieved. I mean, from like Troy to Inglorious Bastards to winning the Cannes Film Festival Award for Best Actress, like to now being in Free Five Five. Like, did you ever think that was possible? And do you think you're kind of doing it for that younger girl in a way? Um, no, I mean, I never thought that any of this was possible. Um, it's just felt, and I, I don't know how to express it, it just feels nothing I've done in life, though, has ever felt um, forced, you know? Like, I think I've, I was, or I am an ambitious person. Like, I like to work, I really like working, if that makes sense. Like, I'm never, even when I'm not working technically on a movie, I'm not, like, I don't ever sit on my couch and just, like, let days pass, you know, and um, I'm, I'm a driven person and I'm very curious. So in a way, I feel like my career has naturally evolved in a way without me really like pursuing it per se. You know, I wasn't knocking on doors every single day, hustling, you know what I'm saying? It's come in a very organic way, which is lovely. But looking back, it seems impossible that this path was possible for me. It, should, it shouldn't have. And so much of it is luck and was luck and being in the right place in the right time. But the curiosity of roles and life, um, that's something that I'm hoping to install into my daughter, right? Whether she wants to sell ice cream in Washington Square, or she wants to become a scientist, it doesn't really matter. It's it's more about going through life with your eyes wide open, you know, and not being this lazy, blasé person. And I think along that way, we can talk about success. And you've had very tangible success. But I think a lot of the time when we talk about success, we don't really take into account the journeys and the sacrifices that people have gone on and had to deal with in order to get to that position. What kind of sacrifices have you had to make? And when have you had to probably dig the deepest to find your resilience to keep going? Um, you know, they didn't feel like sacrifices. It, it felt, it's felt like at times I was very selfish, you know, um, like putting my life and my desires, my career first, um, and sort of not letting anyone be stand in my way. Um, so that's certainly hurts relationships or friendships at times, you know? Um, but in, in terms of sacrifices, I don't feel like I've really made many, you know? Um, it, and maybe that's the reason why um, I had a child really late because I felt like I didn't want to make any sacrifices. You know, I didn't want to slow down. I, I didn't want to have anyone to worry about. I've never been attached to like materialistic assets. Um, you know, I mean, it's always been just like, sure, let's live there for six months or let's live here for two months, you know, so and that's come now with age. Like all of a sudden I'm starting to feel like now this is like my home base. This is, I really like being here, you know, 
but uh, it's been very a very natural procession. Yeah. Mm. When you think back though to your career, is there a time when you received a no that has ultimately empowered you, or a negative period of that time that ultimately has brought you forward to today? All the time, you hear more no than yes. You know, uh, most artistic careers, I would say, are based on that. You know, and it's. I used to take it very, very personal, uh, very dark times sometimes. You know, you really wanted, you really wanted this part or you put yourself out there, you know, or even as a model, you know, which is kind of worse because you get nose on your appearance, right? It's not even about not right, being right for a part or doing a bad audition because that's on you. But like to hear no, you can't do that because you're not, I don't know, pretty enough or you're not corresponding to what's in style like that's very personal how can you not take that personal you know and it's taken me a long time to be above that um those were dark days right you would you would think of what is it that i'm not enough why am i not enough or you know it's part of being an actor Mm. how did you change that narrative inside your head I think it's just getting older and being and trying to be um, to be above that. You know, it's it's not always easy. There's still times. Sometimes you're like, wow, like, why why I'm not I'm not why am I not being considered for this even? You know, or why do these people think I'm just that? Like you said, like you know, why do they think I'm I only fit into that box? And it's not easy every day. Um, it's just when you're older, I think you have other things going on in your life. So you're like, it's more like, you know, fuck you, you know, <laughs> fuck you for thinking that you're the asshole, not me. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes in life, I sometimes think all the times back when I should have just been like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like literally like those, sometimes those fuck you moments are the things that actually get you to where you should have been all along, right? You know, it, it's hard to say you should, where you should be because right, it's so where should you be? Like, you you know, you don't deserve more than the person next to you. You know, it's just sometimes feels so unfair, right? Like even for Glorious Bastards, right? Like he auditioned everyone. He didn't want to audition me because he saw a movie that I was in he didn't like, you know what I mean? So he didn't believe in me from the get-go. And literally the only reason he auditioned me is because... There was no one left to audition, right? I had to fly my, pay for my own flight from New York to go to Germany because he wouldn't, even though obviously he's American, but he wouldn't see me in the US, right? So like I had to jump through all these hoops that definitely put my nose at a joint. But I was like, you know what? Fuck him. Like, I'm just going to do that and prove him that I could do it, right? And, And thankfully it all worked out, but sometimes it just seems so unfair right and you've got to change the narrative oh my god the gratification from that yes <laughs> must have been like something else yeah yeah but you know on both sides you know i think that for him too that kind of must have been a lesson right sometimes you like you are the one that puts and i'm sure i'm guilty of that too you put people in boxes you know <laughs> you think they're going to be one way and then they're not at all right Totally. And that's what comes from navigating through life and being open to other people, yeah. isn't it? And just realizing that, like I always say this, that the way you move through life and yeah. the people you meet, if you go through it with an open eyes, like you were saying earlier about what you want to teach your daughter, you will find so many lessons and so many learnings in so many different people in times when you never would expect it. 
Yeah, and, and and even further than lessons, because sometimes I feel like, I mean, how many fucking lessons do we need in life, you know? More, <laughs> I actually feel like life is easier. Your life is going to be easier if you don't have so many expectations. I truly believe that what holds people back in life the most is that they have an idea of what it's supposed to be like. If they just took each day as it is and stay open to what could be, you don't have to go through so much disappointment, you know, because I feel like we all set ourselves up for failure, including myself to this day. You know, I think like, I don't know. I just think we always have expectations and life just is not about that. I mean, you've had so many points in your career, like when you were trained to be a ballerina and then you got injured and had to end your career. Like that is such a huge disappointment. And to pick yourself up from that, and then to then become a model and then pick yourself up from all that rejection and then going to the acting business, like that that's a huge symbol of how disappointment can actually push you forward. Yeah, it's also a reality check, you know, like I wasn't good enough. I mean, I had an injury, but I wasn't good enough to be a prima, you know. Did I when I look back, like, or even then, did I want to be a background dancer? No, that wasn't what I wanted for myself, right? Which didn't mean like I know what I wanted to do in life, but I had to just like go to a plan B, right? And I think most people do that hopefully in their lives too. I just I find it very frustrating. People say, Oh, it's too late, you know, I can't, I can't do that now. It's too late, you know. And um just think that's that's so sad when that happens. I don't think it's ever too late for anything, you know. One hundred percent. And you're the one you need to rely on. Like you need to be your own ally yeah. in that journey, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. You, you create. You yeah. You, it's your narrative, right? You get to create your own content. Oh my god! Well, this is a cracking way to start the year of the yeah, podcast. Right. Create your own narrative. That is what it's all about. And um, before you leave us, I've got one last question for you, Diane, mm-hmm. and that is: in the reign of your life. What is the one rule you will always live by? Oh my goodness, a <laughs> lighthearted question. <laughs> um, one rule, I mean, you know, I just, I don't ever want to give up on me, you know? Don't ever give up on yourself. I love that. Mm. That is an amazing way to end. And thank you so much for joining me like honestly it's been a pleasure talking to you and my boyfriend's literally dying in the other room because he's like obsessed he was like i can't believe dan kruger's coming over today and it's like babe she's coming over via zoom (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so sweet Thank you so much for joining me for another incredible episode of the podcast. I really hope you found something in this episode that makes you feel like you're making it rain in your own life too. And if you have, I'd love to hear about it. So get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe or follow. And most importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. It might just open up a conversation you never knew you needed. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. 
As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because, as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life, just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.